Hi there everyone, it's Charles. We have a really great episode of Gold Squadron Gaze for you today, but before we get into that, I have to talk about something serious. So if you've listened to this show for a while, you'll have heard the name J Guys and Jedi before. It's another podcast that's distributed by the True True Freaks Network, and that is co-hosted by Hope Mullinex and Chris Honeywell. Hope Mullinex has appeared on Gold Squadron a few times, uh, and I have appeared over there on their Resistance recap episode. On June 3rd, 2023, uh, Chris Honeywell lost everything in a house fire. Uh, fortunately, he is okay, his roommate is okay, and the cat is okay. But everything except the clothes on their back and their lives are gone. This is a terrifying experience for anyone. I have watched people go through this. It is it is not a pleasant thing to have to deal with. And so the True True Fruits radio network has actually set up a GoFundMe to try to help get them back on their feet. We're going to link the GoFundMe down in the show description. If you are financially able, please consider going and checking out that GoFundMe and donating to help Chris get back on his feet. In addition to being someone who really supports other podcasters, and really supports the art of podcasting. Chris is just a really stand-up guy. He's just a really awesome person. Uh, if you listen to Jay Guys and Jedi for any length of time, you know how cool of a guy he is. So I would urge anyone, again, who is financially able to consider going and donating a few bucks to that GoFundMe to help get him and his roommate back on their feet. Thank you so much for listening to this, and we're going to get into the episode of Gold Squadron. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers. I just dragged Bradley kicking and screaming away from Tears of the Kingdom, and we are here to talk about Star Wars. Yes, I need a, I need to change the pace for uh, the fandom that I'm a part of at the moment because that game is ruining my life, just wasting my time. Your yours and my boyfriend's, both of you. It is impossible to talk to either. The three people I talk to the most in my life are Bradley, my boyfriend, and my best friend. And of those three, my best friend is the only one who's responding to messages in a timely manner right now because he's straight and therefore the only one not playing Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, this game is messing up my life only because it's just like there's so much to do. Like you get so distracted all the time. I'm just like, all right, I, no one's even playing the main story. They're just fucking around in the sandbox. And like, that's the best part of the game. So I'm didn't just, I'm just wasting a, my time. Didn't somebody make a pod racer? Yes, like... I've seen a pod racer. I've seen an X-Wing. I've seen uh, all, a TIE <laughs> fighter. I've literally seen all kinds of things. And I'm like, damn, man, I need to start making them. Oh, my God. Well, Bradley's taking a little time away from Tears of the Kingdom, uh, and I've taken some time from catching up on Final Fantasy XIV that I neglected for weeks to play Jedi Survivor, uh, so we can talk about The Mandalorian. But before we talk about The Mandalorian, I have been promising for weeks that we will talk about the WGA strike, and now it is time to do that. It is time to take the pin out and throw the grenade. <laughs> so here's what I've I've done here, is I've sort of made a list, and I've, I've done my best to sort of keep up because there's so much information flying around of what shows are going to be affected by the WGA strike and where we're at with everything. But a quick primer, uh, if you're just joining us, this is my best summary of what the fuck is going on with the WGA. So every three 
years, the major uh, unions, the entertainment unions, negotiate with a group called the AMPTP, the Association, I think, of Motion Picture and Television Producers. This it was this year. It was that for the WGA, SAG, AFTRA, and the DGA. So for those who don't speak entertainment, that's the Writers Guild, the Actors Guild, and the Directors Guild are all up for negotiation. Writers came first. Uh, writers, normally what happens is they send over a list of demands. Studios send over a list of counter offers. They go back and forth and they agree on something. Usually it makes people at the top richer and it screws over everybody else. This year, they sent over some demands. Uh, mainly they wanted to get rid of mini rooms. Uh, and they also sent over that they wanted to ban AI, the use of AI, like in for writing things, uh, and a couple of other demands. All of them were just rejected outright. And then there's also stuff going on with streaming residuals. It's there's a lot. Uh, WJ was like, what the fuck is this? We are going on strike. So they have been on strike for the past, as of recording this, it's been about a month, Bradley, you would say? Yeah, I think so. I think we, I think we first started it like halfway through this show, so ish. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's been about a month. Yeah, it's 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 been probably about a month uh, that they've been on strike, which the longest one was 100 days. It was back in 2007. Uh, is, is it weird that I remember that? Uh, no, because I also remember that. Like, because it was this is back when Lost was on, and so like that was like for me that was a big deal because that I was really into Lost at the time, and I remember it was like during the strike, like one of the seasons, like you kind of like start noticing you're like this season's not really like that great at the writing. I wonder why. <laughs> because they wrote it really fast. Like they were some of these shows people were writing up until the deadline that they had to go on strike. Uh, now we'll get to it in a minute, but like some shows are continuing to film, but there's really strict rules for what they can do. So like they can't have writers on set. Uh, if somebody it happens to be fi- fulfilling a producing duty, uh, they really shouldn't be there, but they're not allowed to make any changes. Actors aren't allowed to improv, which is going to be really interesting given Deadpool 3 is shooting right now and Ryan Reynolds as a credited writer on that film is not allowed to improv any of his lines on set that, I just I saw that the other day work. yeah I don't know how that one's gonna work out but well no I don't know I, it could be really really good for it or it could be really really bad <laughs> so. well it's gonna be interesting too with streaming because I remember like the initial well the strike that i'm not the initial strike that was decades ago but the strike that everybody remembers which was the 2007 writer strike i remember that happening and i remember it part of it was that the way network television would work at the time is you could count on things coming out yearly and nowadays you get these stream shows that come out 10 episodes every two years so it's it's going to be interesting to see how that affects things because it's going to affect things in a different way that it did back in 2007 so so I've made a little list here of just what's probably going to be affected by the writer's strike and what's not. Some of it is confirmed that we know that it's definitely going to be affected. Some of it is just my best guess. Information is constantly changing. We're recording this episode on May the 27th. Uh, it's not going to come out until uh, a week from Monday. So it's not going to come out until the 5th. Uh, so even the things that I'm saying right now might be outdated. The strike might be over by the time this episode comes out. But here's what I've written down that I know. Ahsoka, probably not going to be affected. It's pretty much shot and it's it's edited and is ready to go. Uh, I can't imagine that's going to be affected at all by the WGA strike. The Acolyte is interesting because I've heard that the Acolyte was still filming when the strike started and I haven't heard anything about it since. I know they have most of it filmed. I don't know if they have all of it filmed. 
And we theorized at some point, either behind the scenes or on the show, I can't remember which one, that they're possibly just doing reshoots at this point. We don't know. Off so, the show, we had this conversation because you and yeah. I were talking about Rings of Power. Right. Rings of Power is shot uh, for 19 days after the strike. They have wrapped production. But the way Rings of Power did it was because the showrunners knew the strike was coming up. They scheduled around it. They planned what they were going to shoot prior to the strike and what was needed to be shot after. After. So they restructured their shooting basically so that they could finish that up and get that over into visual effects and all of that. And we were speculating that Acolyte might be doing something similar with uh, like maybe they're just doing reshoots or right. reshoots or stunts or, or just something just maybe just pickups or something. It doesn't have to necessarily right. be something super writer reliant heavy. <laughs> right. It's going to run into problems in editing, but I, I think that it's far enough along that they have enough they can work with that I don't think they're going to be too. So, affected yeah. i'm not as worried about the acolyte as i am about andor now andor and this is, this is going to be interesting because okay. we know they they already started and then they were like they Ooh. started they're still going so <sighs> it's complicated and this is why i'm kind of glad we didn't talk about this right off the bat because andor was like we're we're gonna keep shooting and then it was reported that Tony Gilroy, who's the executive producer on it, was still doing his producing duties, that he was still doing all of that. Uh, and that went around for a couple of days until Tony Gilroy had to come out and say, no, I stopped doing that after the strike commenced. Uh, I'm not I'm not doing that anymore, but they're still shooting and or hard to say. I know as far as the last thing I heard, Gilroy was on strike. He's not participating in whatever's happening over at the shooting. So who knows what they're shooting? Who knows whether they planned around it? I right. feel like Disney's calculus with that is they're expecting the strike to last somewhere between six to eight weeks. And they're kind of banking on the fact that maybe 80% of that footage will be usable and we'll have to go back and shoot 20% of it. And that's going to cost us money. But then there's 80% that we've got instead of like, I feel like Disney's banking on on like we can use at least some of the footage we shot during the strike. Right. And I think they also, I mean, I feel like just in natural Disney fashion, they're going to be like, well, this clearly just is going to follow suit of Rogue One and we'll just do a bunch of reshoots and it's going to be fine. Right. So. <laughs> right. And the excuse it's being used and it's the same excuse as being used for House of the Dragon, which Bradley Bradley does his joke intros whenever it's it's just us. He'll always, he'll try to make me crack. Like, he'll try to make me corpse on, on the intro. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But because we were talking about Fire and Blood before we started recording, we were he made a, a, a House of the Dragon joke. House of the Dragon, I'm so glad we're not a Game of Thrones podcast because my God, that's a mess right now. Between the fact that they're still shooting, between the fact that one of the writers was photographed on the set like she may Ooh, or may not be scabbing not which oh, no. and then also like security so bad on that set that whole scenes are being leaked onto the internet oh god and part of the reason i bought fire and blood was that like a major character death got spoiled for me by tiktok from just a scene that someone posted oh god it's crazy over there but like i feel like that's part of house of the dragons calculus too and the excuse that's being used for both of the shows is that oh the scripts are locked in and they were done months ago which that's not how film and tv writing works but okay sure fine whatever you can say that it's not how it works uh, you kind of need writers the entire step of the process. Unless you're in, on one of Bradley's shows, and then y'all don't actually... Your producers write everything. Ugh. 
don't get me started on producers <laughs> right now. Um, they're they're on their last leg right now. They're they're tap dancing on my patience right now. But um, yes, no, producers are king in uh, the reality television world, and thankfully, we don't really use writers uh, on our shows, so I don't really have to worry about the writer strike in that aspect. Unfortunately, it does put everybody on edge for other reasons in the terms of like unions and stuff. And so that is a big deal on reality show sets, especially with like uh, crew unions. Um, And so that is actually affecting us in a different kind of way. Uh, Not the same way that like, you know, the, you know, with TV shows that utilize writers, their biggest problem right now is going to be, is the show going to be even fucking good? And it probably won't be. Well, they're about to have a bigger problem and it's about (laughs) to be a problem that affects you guys because as of recording this, SAG just sent out for a strike authorization vote. Oh no. Okay. Well, okay. I I won't get into the intricacies of why that's also a bad problem for us. I will clarify because I speak Bradley we are in support of the WGA strike on the show he's talking about how it affects his job which also happens to be in TV production yeah so we like people have told me like oh you're fine you know because you just you're in reality TV this doesn't affect you but no it affects us in other ways and so it's definitely not a great thing when people go on strike because it's really bad for the industry as a whole especially if you don't even remotely give them what they want or like even give credence to any of their demands you know it's really bad for just the industry's morale as a whole and it is a ripple effect unfortunately so please yeah just give them what they want they need it because <laughs> yeah i can imagine too that's part of the issue with sag and in the dga is that dga is negotiating right now sag just sent out for a strike authorization vote and part of it is they're looking at the way that the writers are being treated and they're saying okay well when it's our turn to negotiate are right. is the amptp going to treat us the same way or i guess in you guys's case it's our, our, our boss is going to treat us the same way right if we were to ask for the bare minimum of equity at all from the people that are in charge so yeah it's uh give the writers what they want it's the right thing to do not hard mandalorian season four has been reported that the filming will probably be delayed as it should as it should be <laughs> yeah, john favreau not. real fast writing season four right before the writer strike happened i still think is bullshit so i do think it is funny that that's the show that maybe the most impacted is the one where it seems like they were trying to get out of writing out of yeah. doing the, the I'm like that seemed well also that seemed so manufactured too when they said that because I was kind of like are you just trying to say that to save face so like it doesn't seem like oh no the show's in trouble like because honestly that to me is a worse like thing to spin is that he re- wrote it really really fast because that just to me will be like okay so you're telling us it's already a shitty season before it even happens like why would you why would you do that you're just like you're shooting yeah, yourself in the foot i don't like it's that. a bad choice it's a bad generally. choice now this last one is a little bit of conjecture on my part um i do remember they said that the ray movie was about six weeks out from the script being complete about three weeks before the strike happened so my guess is the ray movie is probably going to be impacted by this yeah because i'm pretty sure they have they, not even started they they are still working on the script yeah um, so yeah that's not gonna the taika's movie probably affected and the Ray movie is probably affected. We don't know how or to what extent. However, interestingly enough, literally the day before 
we recorded this episode. The WGA got a uh, voice of support from none other than Kathleen Kennedy, who okay. uh, it, it was it was couched in studio speak. It was, you know, we hope reaching a fair deal, yada, yada, yada. Right. But she also was kind of like, you, you should you should give them what they want. So we will be keeping our eyes on that, but that's where the strike stands, at least at this point. Anyway, the, the final word on that is give the writers what they want. Yes. Moving on. Speaking of, of giving the writers what they want uh, and a show that's not doing that and could really have benefited from a writer's room and really should not have been written by one guy on a notepad, The Mandalorian. <laughs> I, I find it so funny that we're covering The Mandalorian during this WGA strike because it is the single best example of why you shouldn't let one person write a whole TV show by themselves. Yeah, I, and we keep noticing that uh, as we do cover these episodes. I mean, especially every time. I don't even know why I bother even saying the written by anymore because we all know it's just going to be John Favreau and it's Dave Filoni John or just Favreau. John or just Dave. Like, it's like, all right, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Or sometimes they're gonna let noah clore do it apparently that that they will noah clore what is your deal what is your deal who are you noah clore i badly need to know Alrighty. well i think we vamped about the uh wga strike for long enough bradley you want to take us into the mandalorian season three episode seven the spies yes sir this week the survivors come out of hiding charles what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not uh the shadow council scene is my favorite scene in the entire season and it makes me so unreasonably happy and also filled with blinding rage <laughs> uh love that scene love everything about that scene that scene was perfect if moff gideon only gets a handful of scenes that one's a really good one one thing i didn't like about this episode i felt like this episode had a lot of good ideas and those ideas were put in a good order and functionally it worked like as a part of a whole I didn't feel this episode had a strong enough through line, like as an episode on its own, compared to something like the Plazier 15 episode or um, episode three to an extent. It suffered from generally the overarching problem with the season, which is it was written as an entire eight episode season and not as eight episodes. So this episode felt a little bit muddled. It felt a little bit like we were just trying to maneuver things in a position for the finale, but also like we wanted to have these big character moments that also kind of didn't land because there really isn't a through line of the episode itself. I just, I was underwhelmed by this episode. I thought that it had some good scenes. It had some good moments. You know, one standout for me is Bo-Katan revealing she surrendered. But these moments don't hit because the episode's not about that. It's not about any particular character. It's not about any particular, like, thing. That it's, They go and they do a thing, and that's the episode. Uh, there's no real, like, I don't want to say there's no real pushback because they do face obstacles but nothing that forces them to confront anything except when the writer decides we have a moment to do an emotional Bo-Katan moment so I don't know I'm not doing a good job of explaining it but I this episode was a little weak for me thematically overall as a through line I thought that 
It could have hit a little bit harder. It could have focused a little bit more on Bo-Katan returning to Mandalore or the relationship between Bo and Din, but it, it, it just sort of missed that opportunity in favor of let's maneuver everything into position so where we can just have a blowout finale. What about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you did not. Um, One thing I liked about this episode is that when it was good, it was good. Like I really did, like you said, I like some of the ideas that they introduced in this episode and some of the designs for the characters, certain outfits and armor that we'll get into later. But there were certain things I really liked about that aspect of it. My main problem was just, and my main problem with the set next episode and pretty much the entire season as a whole is that Moff Gideon did not get enough screen time. Like I know he was in it for what he was in it for, but I thought that they had scenes in this episode that honestly could have been like major like set pieces that could have been cut just for more Moff Gideon scenes. Honestly, like I just needed to see him do more. I, in particular, I'll say the, random dinosaur monster thing that comes out of the ground and attacks them at one point like is just there for like half a second and then it's like okay we don't need him anymore so that was my main issue was that honestly that particular scene was kind of annoying to me um because it was like why like why even have this in here if it if you're just gonna find the fucking forge anyway if you just go into this random cave so it was stupid but anyway i i still like the action that there was in the episode that i thought it was pretty good before we dive into the episode i don't need to do so much a correction as i need to punch myself repeatedly in the face because there was a very obvious historical reference uh in this season that i missed the character is gone now but i i need to bring this up vain the pirate uh the 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 we Nikto pirate. I did the same thing you See? did. Where it's I not so it. easy being racist, is it? <laughs> I'm I am speciesist. Speciesist the pirate. <laughs> yes, that's my failing as a human person, and I'm I'm trying to learn to grow from that. Um, no, the uh, Nikto pirate Vane, probably named after Charles Vane, who is an English pirate. Didn't you say that uh, before? Did. Did I did I say that before? Because I swore I didn't. I could have sworn you said it earlier in the season, like when we first saw him. I I could have sworn that I didn't because I saw it on. You know what? It's going here. Uh, let me know if I said that before or if Bradley wasn't listening to me. I mean, you know, you doubt yourself, but maybe you already covered it and you don't even know. Maybe I did. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, just to be clear, Vane is probably named after Charles Vane, who was an English pirate. I like it. There we go. Bradley, take us into the episode. On Coruscant, Aliyah Kane secretly meets with a probe droid who displays a hollow of Moff Gideon. She updates him on the status of Navarro and the pirate. Gideon tells her to continue with her mission while he handles the Mandalorian. Gideon heads to a meeting of several Imperial officers, which is referred to as the Shadow Council. Gideon addresses them with concerns for new leadership and requests backup regarding his Mandalorian problem. The Council agrees, promising him reinforcements and guards. Title card, Chapter 23, The Spies. I love the Blade Runner vibe of the Coruscant scene, just the whole like noir thriller thing. I do like that, yeah. I also like how it actually connects to our one-off random episode that never should have been in this season. Yes, they did finally connect it in. Although I will (laughs) say one thing that irked me is he's like, Kane, continue your mission on Coruscant, yada, yada, yada. And and that will never be addressed or resolved in this season. Yeah, what what was that about? It made no sense. I have no idea. Also, what is her mission? 
to spy? No idea. I I thought so too when I first watched it. And then I'm like, no, there's no way he wouldn't put it in there if she doesn't have some other like secret. Other thing to do. Yeah. That she's doing is it's like, is she reporting to him? Is what's going on here? This will not be resolved. Uh, We won't see anything about this for the rest of the season. Yeah, just a weird choice. She just sort of reports her thing and then it's like, okay, bye, Kane. Yeah, like, I don't need you anymore. Like, I won't I won't ask you to come help me. Like, come come out here and help. Like, no, just go be in the plot so you can be back for season four, I guess. Or maybe if they ever do another story like connecting that. I mean, they might just fucking forget about it. Who knows? I know. know. That's what I'm worried about. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm not. uh, I'm I'm not too thrilled with the fact that they just left that plot thread dangling. It's weird because most of the other seasons, they've like everything that was introduced in the season was tied up ish. Or we knew it was getting its own show later on, but also like Boba Fett in season two was, I mean, tied up pretty well by the end of the, the Simi Valley episode. Like he was just there for the last two episodes. Yeah. But then we also knew he was getting his own show to follow that up. But like we, I don't know. I don't like the cane wasn't resolved at all, or we don't have any indication of where that's going. And now we get to my favorite scene ever because I fucking love this scene. Uh, it, it's a meeting with all the evil Imperial dudes. Now, what you and I agreed on before we hit record on this episode was that I'm going to talk about two of these dudes. And then Bradley's going to run through the rest. Uh, Most of them are just credited as Warlord. That's just how they're credited. I'm going to talk about the two with names. So the first one we need to concern ourselves with is a gentleman named Gilad Palian. Now, fans of canon, and particularly Star Wars Rebels, may recognize the name Captain Palian from the Battle of Lothal at the end of Season 4. He is mentioned on the comms, so he is present at that. Legends fans, however, will remember Pelion as a much larger character than he has been in canon so far. He was the right hand of Grand Admiral Thrawn. He was the Watson for Thrawn to explain all of his deductions to. Uh, and okay. after uh, after Thrawn was killed, Pelion continued to uh, show up in things. He's actually the one that signs the peace treaty between the Imperial Remnant and the New Republic in Legends. So he he shows up a lot in multiple things, but this is our first actual sight of him. Oh, nice. He's being played by Xander Berkeley. I want to say is how you pronounce that name. He's a that guy, uh, but he's been in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Air Force One. Been in a lot of stuff that I haven't seen. He has 248 acting credits. Let's talk about the other guy, because I shouldn't need to tell Bradley who the other guy is that gets <laughs> you, a name drop in this gets scene. Gets the name drop, and I actually knew who he was, which is the you first knew exactly for me. exactly who he was. This is the first for me uh, with random Imperial number seven who actually gets a name, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I know who that is because I read a book once. I read a book, and I know exactly. Did you also feel the like unfathomable levels of hatred upon realizing who this character was? was or is that just me uh that was probably just you but it did give me hope that they'll bring phasma back at some point so that's the only (laughs) thing that them introducing him here gives me any kind of glimmer or like essence of hope that she's going to show up again at some point well this character is named brindle hux you might think the last name hux is familiar uh in which case you would be right 
This is the father of Armitage Hawks, the galaxy's most hammy ginger from the sequel trilogy. Uh, and Brindle Hawks, of course, notably appeared in Phasma, but he has also appeared in the Aftermath trilogy and in a little book series called Servants of the Empire that I highly recommend to everyone who liked Rebels. It is basically a between-seasons continuation of one of the plot lines from season one of Rebels that was not resolved in the actual show. Brindle Hux here in The Mandalorian, appearing and being played by a gentleman named Brian Gleason. And if that last name seems familiar to you, that is because Brian Gleason is the brother of Dom Hall Gleason, who played Armitage Hux in the sequel trilogy. He's also appeared in Snow White and the Huntsman, Phantom Thread, and that shitty Assassin's Creed movie from a few years back. Good for him. Yep, they cast his... Uh, it's really funny they, they cast Brian Gleason in this part. I just love that they did that. I, I love when casting directors do that because I just find that so perfect sometimes. You're just like, oh, they're actually related, so then it makes the familial connection that much more sweeter. You're just like, oh, chef's kiss. I love that. Uh, it's great. It's great. Bradley, do you want to run us through really quickly some of the other actors in this scene and things they are noted for? Sure. Um, in no particular order, I'm just going to speed through this because uh, there's quite a few of them. Um, and I'll save the one person for last because they have a Disney trifecta. So I'm going to get that in there somehow. So Johnny Hoyney, hopefully that's how you say it. Uh, uh, apologies to everyone we every ever single person on the show I'm so for sorry. mispronouncing their name. Um, he was in uh, American Gangster uh, and in the movie Nightcrawler. Jodie Long, she was in Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. The Hot Chick, RoboCop 3. Then there was Imelda Cochran. She was in Falcon Winter Soldier and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Lost. Hemke Madeira, he was in Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, Rango and the show Weeds. And then finally, there's uh, Marco Khan. He's our Disney trifecta. Uh, he was in Iron Man, John Favreau connection, and Pirates of the Caribbean 2. So there you go. That's our Disney trifecta nice. right there. There we go. That was just blasting through all of the actors who Yeah, were... all the people in that this scene. This season has so many fucking speaking parts. It's I insane. Know. It, it's like, y'all, I get it. Like, we need them, but still, for our sakes... <laughs> because <laughs> we want to shout them out they, i know i know i, I we, we have to because they deserve it i um, i continue yeah. to recommend if we haven't mentioned someone just go to the imdb page and look at the credits for the actors for the mandalorian right. like with andor we cannot possibly shout every single one of them out Right. It's not possible. Something called Project Necromancer is mentioned now, like, fucking obviously. We know what that one is. We know or at least we is. have a good idea of what that one is. Yeah. They're, they're not subtle, uh, but this is one of several times in this episode, but one of two notable times this episode will say, oh, did you think we were retconning the sequel trilogy? No. No. no we're we directly weren't. referencing it now. So uh, all you uh, Ray haters out there are crying in your beds at night because this Mandalorian is going to be shoving down the sequel trilogy down our throats in about two seasons. So y'all better get ready. And thank God for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Project Necromancer, almost certainly the attempt to resurrect Palpatine, except maybe not, because here's the thing. Battlefront 2, the video game, mm -hmm. had a DLC that was concerned with something called Project Resurrection, Ooh. I think it was. That turned out to have absolutely nothing to do with Palpatine. Okay. So 
It's entirely possible that Project Necromancer, and it's also questionable how much the people who are in charge of the First Order know about the Final Order. So it's actually somewhat debatable whether or not Project Necromancer actually refers to the Palpatine thing, or whether or not it has something to do with the rebirth of the Empire for the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Oh, that because Thrawn's return is mentioned in the scene. He the is main thrust drop, of the yeah. scene is Paleon is like, we need to wait for Thrawn, and everybody's like, okay, but fucking why though? Yeah, Gideon's like, um, I think it's time for new leadership actually, because we don't need to be waiting for anybody to take over. <laughs> but I also do want to mention that they call themselves the Shadow Council. Shadow Council, again from the Aftermath books, it was originally created by Gallius Rax in those books. And it it was sort of implied that it was over after those books uh, because he did want to eliminate most of them at the end of the books. Uh, but apparently after Ray Sloan took all of the competent people and went to the Unknown Regions to found the First Order, uh, the people that were remained made their own Shadow Council again. So ah, gotcha. that's apparently what this is. Okay. Is, I like the idea is, that there's... this is Shadow Council 2 Electric Boogaloo. I like the idea that this is a third group. So like right now, like you have this group right now, which will eventually split off into the first order, which is what I'm This assuming. group right now is probably not going to make it to the sequel trilogy. Right. Well, what's his name? Hux is just going to help start Hux is it. also involved with the first order. Again, it's weird how much people know about things because yeah. Hux should know about the first order, but very clearly no one else does, including Paleon or Gideon. So that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking like maybe that like this is he's kind of got his own thing going on in the background. And then like or I'm sure they all do, but because they're all, you know, evil. <laughs> so yeah. but I, I I like the idea that there's three groups that don't really know what's going on with the others. So you have the, you know, the actual Palpatine stuff that's happening forever and a galaxy away and they don't know anything. And then you have the First Order happening all by itself in the Unknown Regions or whatever. And then you have this little mini Shadow Council who's like, nah, we're just the TV show Evil People, so we're just going to stick around for a while. Right. Well, I also like how much of like a bunch of fucking pushovers these guys are because they're all Paleon's saying his thing and they're all agreeing with him. And then Gideon starts saying his thing and they all start agreeing with him. And I'm like, like, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You guys, you guys were the stupid people that got left behind by Ray Sloan. You guys yeah. are the idiot that yeah. no one wanted. And now you're just in charge and you don't know how to not follow. Yeah, it's the followers, the sheeple. Yeah, it's it's the sheep. It's the sheeple. It's all yeah. of the people who got caught up in the fascism and didn't know how to actually be in charge of anything, pretending to be in charge of things. But all they really know how to do is take orders. Right. Which does sort of explain how Snoke is going to come in and take over eventually. You see, we're, we're setting up the sequel trilogy. We're, we're making the <laughs> sequel trilogy make more sense. I mean, it does make sense if you watch the movie and comprehend the images that are on the screen in front of you and the words what are being said. Uh, but this is making it make more sense. My final note in this section is on the spies. So oh, Bradley, this, is, this is where this comes this from? This is where, because the title card is here. Gotcha. So, so I'm now okay, going to so tell we can talk you about it here. Okay, cool. where the spies comes from. Okay, please tell me because here's the thing, guys. I have no clue to this day who the spies is referring to. I, well, I have this I'm is the only episode you. title that I have not figured out, and I don't understand why it's called the spies. So please enlighten me. Okay, so I didn't get this either. It was the the Rupalps people. Uh, that actually were tweeting about this. And I was like, oh, shit, that's that work. That makes sense. Okay. I 
Uh, so I don't have a primary source saying this is right. exactly what the spies refers to. And I'm also, because it deals with religious texts from a religion that I am not a part of, I am going to do the best I can to explain this uh, with the caveat that I am neither Jewish nor Christian, uh, although I've studied the Bible extensively. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to relay this. So apologies if I get anything wrong. So you know the story of Moses, right, Bradley? Yeah, sure. You watched Prince of Egypt. Oh, Prince of Egypt. Sea. Oh, I've seen that. You've seen Prince of Egypt. The okay. actual factual story, of course. Yes, I, <laughs> yes. See, I, I know that one. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. The the um, the Prince of Egypt movie. Shout yes. out to DreamWorks and a song that goes really hard for no reason in the beginning of the movie, true. where she pushes actually... it down the river. <laughs> I actually genuinely like that movie. I think it's. I, I, really I actually like no, and I, I'm not really. Movie. I love. I. I when I was a kid, that was one of two movies that I was even allowed to watch. So I was allowed to watch Star out. Wars, and that was it. <laughs> so shout out to that movie. <laughs> so after that movie ends, and they finally get to the promised land, so right. they walk around for forty years, and then they finally get to the promised land, and Moses sends twelve spies. Uh, this is from the book of Numbers. He okay. sends 12 spies to go scout the promised land. And they come back and they basically say, place is great. There's a, a lot of like really, really defensible fortresses. And it's going to be hard to take. So yeah, that's that's probably what this episode title refers to is Moses's 12 spies that were sent to gather information on Canaan and bring it back to him. Okay, so now how does that relate to this episode? So in the episode, Bo-Katan <laughs> sends Mandalorians down to the surface to gather information. That is the entire crux of the episode. And this is why, yeah, everybody, we need a writer's room because I do not like this at all. That let's let's come up with a new title. It it's a title. <laughs> I don't like that. That's too vague. I don't like that. It's 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 an interesting reference because like I feel like when they wrote the episode title, they expected nobody to get it because I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And look, I know thanks to my deeply religious upbringing, I know the Bible back and forth. Like I know so many details about it. I completely missed this. Yeah, this that, that seems it was like only, so left field. It was only when someone pointed it out that I was like, oh, and I wish I, I could remember who it actually was that pointed that out. But yeah, I... When I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, because that's the plot of the episode is Bo-Katan sends people to scout out Mandalore and they encounter resistance. And in the story of the 12 spies, that's exactly what happens. They go in and they scout out the promised land and they come back and they're like, there's people living there and it's pretty, pretty well defended, but the place is pretty great. So, yeah, it's a reference to to a Bible story. I still don't like it. So I'm going to go with. That's not the episode title. It, it, that's too loose of an interpretation. So I'm going to reject your uh, it's biblical the only, references. It's the only one. I can't. I, I can't I accept would not it. Be, I would not be bringing it here if it was not the only one that made any sort of remote sense. Because I just it do is not like that. such an obscure reference. I don't like that. It's too obscure. I don't like it. You're not going to get me with that one. It's such an obscure reference, but there's no other thing that I've heard that makes any sort of, but it's such an obscure reference. I mean, I'm I'm just going to call it the scouts. 
because that's more like that's what they were doing. <laughs> they weren't uh, the scouting party. <laughs> I'm not going to call it the spy. They weren't spying on anybody. Yeah, so they don't, don't like really that. even spy on anything. That's the thing that gets that, me too. Yeah, I don't like it. Also, I feel like, again, John Favreau knows about a thing and he is attempting to reference the thing without really understanding it. Right. Because I do feel like he could have written this episode in such a way that that was a little more obvious. Like if they hadn't been immediately detected when they reached the Great Forge, maybe, but... I don't know. Uh, so I'm going to move on. But that is almost certainly what this episode title is in reference to. It's one story from the Book of Numbers, Chapter 13. Back on Navarro, the people are recovering from the pirate attacks from a few episodes ago when the fleet of Mandalorians show up to meet the covert Mandalorians. The armorer welcomes them and calls for a feast. Meanwhile, Grief Cargo shows Mando what the Anzellans were up to while he was gone. IG-11 has been repurposed into a vehicle for a small pilot now called IG-12. Grogu is fastened into the pilot seat and uses the droid vocabulator to say, Yes. They take it out for a test drive, testing Din's patience. And later, at night, at the Mandalorian feast, Bo reveals her plans to take back Mandalore. She asks for volunteers for her mission from both tribes. Grogu is in Bo-Katan's lap now. <laughs> thus completing his character arc there you go we're done here you can uh, we're wrap done it up. here we wrap don't need anything else nope he's sitting in her lap which is <laughs> fucking amazing it's so cute the pretty sure the anzellan says motherfucker i saw that there was a debate about this on tiktok like that he says that i mean as we know disney would never put like purposefully ever do that however maybe someone at lucasfilm is very cheeky and made it almost a little too close for comfort i do feel like that had to be they they had to know what they were doing with the audio engineering on that they're Just like somebody on tiktok's gonna figure this out yep. somebody on tiktok's gonna hear the nzl and say motherfucker well we don't have a lot of time to dwell on the motherfucker because then uh the best thing to happen in this show happens Grogu gets the ability to say no. God. <laughs> I fucking love this scene. Fucking love this scene. So yes, good. yes, yes, yes. He's like, now I don't have any children and Bradley doesn't have any children, but I have heard from parents that if you get the child a thing uh, that makes noise, this is what that life is like. The child will just hit the thing repeatedly. Constantly. Do you want to hear a very embarrassing story about me? Do we have time for an embarrassing story? It's it's the short-ish embarrassing story, but it's very embarrassing. Okay. So I had an upstairs neighbor once that I found attractive, and I'd spoken to him a couple of times, but I wanted an excuse to go and talk to him. And I noticed that he had some cats. So one time while I was at the store, I picked up some cat toys and went over to give them to him. But I didn't realize that they were like the squeaky cat toys. Uh, so I went out and I gave the cat toys to this man. And I was like, oh, I noticed you had a cat. You know, these were on sale. They weren't. These were on sale. I thought I'd get them for you. A couple weeks later, I run into him in the hall and I'm like, oh, does your cat enjoy the those cat toys? And he's like, oh, yes, frequently at three in the morning. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that plan happen. did not work. No. Now that he only associated you with pain and suffering. Yep, yep, I <laughs> screwed myself on that one. Oh, well. R.I.P. to the Meluron flute, uh, because that, that does look like a Meluron fruit. Uh, I think that it Grogu is. crushes. 
Uh, you've you've never been to Galaxy's Edge, have you, Bradley? I have not. Okay, well, uh, you should try the Melo Run juice. It's pretty good. Okay, I'm sure it tastes even better with vodka, but you know, I I'm have sure a, it probably would if I would could smuggle well, if a I could smuggle vodka so. into the park, <laughs> which I can't do. Uh, you can't. Alas, you cannot drink. You can only drink in certain specific areas of the Disneyland Park. I think it's just in Ogas. I actually think uh, it's just in Ogas that you're allowed to drink. Gotcha. DCA you can drink. They sell alcohol in DCA, but Ogas is the only place you can buy alcohol in Disneyland, at least out here. So I did see some debate on whether or not uh, the the creatures being spit-roasted in the uh, feast scene are the bird things. Uh, I don't think they are. Are they big think, enough for that? I don't think so. I think they're supposed... Okay, cast your mind back to Season 1, Episode 7, when the group is crossing the lava flats and right. they get attacked by these like bird bat things yeah i think those are supposed to be that gotcha yeah that would make more sense or like something native to navarro not necessarily something native to navarro yeah. that they're not desperate enough to cook those bird raptor things and eat them which again we have yet to see again since we last saw them we so. do have yet to see them again since we last saw them you know again, what? another thing that will not be followed up on this season who knows maybe they'll show up in the finale or not ever again and never spoken about I ever doubt again it. or used ever again <laughs> another random choice another random thing that uh was made a big deal of and then we never saw again never saw again speaking of things that we've never seen again uh when everybody's doing the um i will go i will go to mandalore scene uh my notes say thanks corky because one of the people who talks is that twink i want to find out we need to find that actor and we need to ask him be like so you can tell us, like, are you quirky? Are you playing quirky in the show? You can tell us. It's okay. Like, you don't, you can just, <laughs> you can keep, we'll keep your secret. We'll keep your secret. Uh-huh. You can tell us off the record. Uh, yeah. Were you cast as, as Corky Crease? Is that who you're actually playing? And then we can be like season four. We can do it. <laughs> Although he would be, he would be like the most well-aged because Corky and Bo aren't that far apart in age canonically. Because she's like a late teenager in Clone Wars and he's like sort of in his early teens. He kind of has to be like 13 or 14 because he's being taught by Ahsoka, who appears to be like maybe a year older than him. Gotcha. So really he'd be like, oh man, he'd be like in his 40s, early 40s. Okay. I mean, he looks great for 40. He looks great for in his 40s. I've just decided this is quirky. <laughs> this 20-something actor. This 20-something <laughs> actor I've decided is a 40-year-old. He's a 40-year-old man, yep. I like it. I like it. I mean, it's it's LA, so you know. It's yeah. LA. It's everybody LA. does everybody does great skincare routines out here. Especially um, Mandalorians. Especially Mandalorians, because they're all hot. Right, they're all course. hot. It's I required. Don't get it. The, it's required to be a Mandalorian. You have to be you hot. You have to be CW hot to be a Mandalorian <laughs> at this point. <laughs> The next day, the fleet leaves Navarro and heads for Mandalore. The scouting party heads to the planet's surface looking for the Great Forge. They come across a crew of surviving Mandalorians on the planet's surface aboard a land ship. They each explain how the different tribes survived the war with the Empire and how Bo-Katan surrendered during the war to Gideon. Later, Din and Bo have a private moment where he reaffirms to her that he and the others are loyal to her because of her character and not her bloodline or the Darksaber. Uh, I do find it very interesting that Axe mentions having been on Mandalore during the Purge. Yes. Which very like, interesting. I also want to know, like, how does anybody survive that? 
That is an excellent question. But Maybe it he's the spy. He's the spy. Of... Oh my God. They're all spies, Bradley. I know. They are I'm all kidding. the I'm spies. Kidding. I'm kidding. All I'm of kidding. them are the spies. Uh, but yeah, I just found that really interesting that he was there because I had the same reaction. Like, oh, how did how does anybody survive? Yeah, this? Did you survive a nuclear attack and like all that good stuff? This. Yeah. Because <laughs> Casca also makes a comment later in the episode about how you know she saw Mandalore in its prime too. So like maybe she was also there. And then also the survivors that we meet, they were yeah. also there. Actually, also that was weird too because like how old is Casca supposed to be? Like she can't be, but in her but in her thirties. That is an excellent question. Let's find out. Because that doesn't make sense either. Because how long ago was the purge? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Jesus. Mercedes Varnado, who plays Casca, right. is 31 years old. So by default, I always assume so the character if, is the same age. So. If the purge occurs roughly 10 years ago-ish, 12 years ago, so she, she was in her, her 20s, 20s, probably. Okay, okay I'll believe probably that. Probably in her 20s. I can believe that. Purge happened. That's fair. Speaking of Casca Reeves, so there was an interesting debate that went back and forth over the Night Owls and whether or not Axe is a Night Owl because Bo-Katan specifically calls for the Night Owls to move and then Axe moves. The answer is probably not. The Night gotcha. Owls were all women. He's Axe like Rose a, is just like a new age Night Owl or whatever we want to call he's, it. Like he's he's the one man that's allowed at the party. Yeah. Just because he's cool. So he's chill. We'll let him. But he's on thin ice. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, the the night hours are all women, at least according to Wikipedia. So probably Axe is not a member of the night owls. He's just probably used to working with them on the field. Gotcha. Okay. That which makes is probably sense. why he moves. Um, but I don't think he has any of the night owl markings or anything on him. Casca's a night owl. So she may be an OG or something, and he's just kind of like a whoever Bo could find to join her. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like her unit is made up partially of night owls and partially of just people she found. Right. That would be able to work with her. Let's talk about who's playing the survivors. Okay. Because there's there's something hilarious that I found. Uh, I I also found this hilarious. (laughs) So the survivor captain is being played by a gentleman named Charles Parnell. Uh-huh. Charles Parnell, uh, most notably, has appeared in Top Gun Maverick, The Last Ship, and Transformers Age of Extinction. Marvel's The Avengers, the video game. Who remembers that? I will remember that for the rest of my life because it was very funny. He's also in Mass Effect Andromeda as the voice of August Bradley. Now, the other survivor is being played by Charles Baker. So, yes, both of these men are named Charles. I thought that was very funny when I was doing my research. I was like, uh, they're both Charles. How did that work out? Charles Baker is probably the most famous for playing Skinny Pete in Breaking Bad. Uh, but he is also in a TV That Guy. He's in The Blacklist as well. So he, those are our two survivors. So we have our scene with where Bo-Katan reveals that she did, in fact, surrender to Moff Gideon. Which I find interesting because the whole time it's sort of been like Bo-Katan is this leader who never bowed and that was her pride got in the way of it. And that's sort of the story that the armorer tells. And no, she was actually 100% prepared to surrender if it would save Mandalorian lives, which kind of reinforces that she's a good leader. That's a thing a good leader would do. Right. 
And I think that kind of feeds into the conversation they have later where he's kind of like, oh, no, like, I know your character. Like, I know what you're about. And clearly you're not the kind of person who's going to put their pride over, like, ruling over just your people. And because that's what makes you a good person. And even though she had in the past done something similar to that extent, she has you know, mended her ways. She's more mature now. She <laughs> She's learned and grown as a character. Um, right. Which, you know, is a thing that characters can do. Mm-hmm. I hate to tell people this, but this I is like a it. thing that, in fact, characters can do, is they can grow. And she, she definitely has an interesting art over the course of the Clone Wars to Rebels to the Mandalorian. It's interesting to look at that arc. One of these days, I got to go back and just watch all the Bo-Katan episodes in order because yeah. I, I would be interesting to just see all just of that. See the arc as a whole. Force Friends then... Rewatch kind of does that, or I, I think they're on hiatus now, but that's sort of their thing is they watch like all of the Ryloth episodes or all of the Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes of things. I'd really be interested to do all of the, Bo- the Bo-Katan episodes. That would be actually an interesting watch. I have a problem, though, with this. Scene. Okay. Okay. What so, is your problem with so, this scene? So what Din says to her, like essentially i'm paraphrasing but he basically like i said in my little thing he goes you know we like you we follow you because of your character not because of your bloodline or the dark saber however <laughs> the previous episode established they all only follow her because she has the dark saber and then in this episode these two survivors and their people follow her because of her bloodline because she's like my name is bo katan and they're like oh the royal family and like so now i'm like wait a minute different groups of mandalorians value different things And part of the issue with the conflict is that each group of Mandalorians believes strongly that their values are the correct ones, that they are the true Mandalorians and that everyone else doesn't value the same things they do. And that's why they've not been able to get along. Den's people don't care about the Darksaber whatsoever. They care about the creed and whether or not you're following it. Axis people, which is a different faction of Mandalorians, don't care about the creed. They put much more stock in the mythology of the Darksaber, in the warrior culture of the Darksaber. And that sort of myth of, of having the Excalibur, having the magic sword, and leading the people. The survivors that we run into, they value Bo-Katan because of her position, because of her previous position. That's what was important to them, that they followed her because she was the leader and a leader that they were loyal to. It's just loyalty, it's pure loyalty. And that's something that Den brings up when they have their conversation is really at the core of it, the reason people follow Bo-Katan and the reason that Den follows Bo-Katan is because she has gone the extra mile this entire season to unify these groups by showing that she at least understands what each group values and has made an effort to affirm that group's value within themselves. As if to say, not every group is going to value the same things, but as Mandalorians, we have to respect each other's differing views. So that's that's what's going on with that. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what's happening with that. And I do really like that as a narrative art for the overall season. Bringing these groups together is not just a matter of saying, hey, I'm going to retake Mandalore, follow me, which was, I think, her thing at the at, when we first meet her back in season two. Now she's like, I am making an effort to be a leader for all Mandalorians. And so all Mandalorians can feel comfortable following me. I think that is very cool. Apparently, the Night of a Thousand Tears was prior to the Purge. These are two different events. This is where we find that out. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> Would love a reference book or something to clear some of this up, but okay, that, that makes sense. Uh, I think it's hilarious that the armor never explicitly confirms that she's not Deathwatch. I don't know if they're waiting for this reveal. I like holding on to this, like for a season four reveal or season five reveal, honestly. Like, I, I mean, maybe. Uh, I I still think we should do what uh, Colton suggested and have the, the the each episode of season four focuses on a different Mandalorian. Yeah. So we'll get the armor episode. But yeah, she doesn't explicitly say I wasn't Death Watch. Shouldn't she just says Death Watch is not a thing anymore. So tech, by, technically, she's not lying. She's pulling an Obi Wan Kenobi. She's not lying. She's pulling a Kenobi and just moving her words around and just basically not just saying the truth out loud, but saying other things are technically also true. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 true from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view, that's right. Anyway, I do think that your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is, is the most romantic thing anyone has said in Star Wars ever. Um, Din, you know, you got to take off your helmet to kiss face. So. <laughs> Apparently, no, you don't. <laughs> Apparently, no, you don't. <laughs> You're going to kiss her face at some point. <laughs> uh, this was the most romantic thing anyone has ever said in a Star Wars. Uh, I like it. Why aren't men like this in real life? Why? Men are all sitting like... What you doing? Are you up? Never. Your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. Very God, loyal. men are so disappointing. Oh, well. You want to take us into the next section while I'm over here being disappointed in men? The next day, the Mandalorian survivors direct the group to the Great Forge on the landship, while the armorer heads back to the fleet with injured members of the survivors on the gauntlet. Hostilities between the two tribes come to a head when Axe Woves and Paz Vizsla get into a fight over a board game but not before Grogu stops them in his mecha suit. The group trudges on, but not before a giant monster pops out of the ground and destroys the land ship. The group abandons the ship and escapes into an underground cave. So we we have several extended scenes of the armorer like leaving the planet. I don't get it. The, the I, choppiness here is so weird with the scene. I feel like this is a misdirect. I feel like what happened was Jon Favreau wrote the episode with the spies title as a reference to the Book of Numbers title. And then was like, hey, you know, it'd be really fun if we tricked everybody into thinking that the armorer was a spy by having multiple extended cuts of her flying up to this ship. Yeah, I also thought it was weird because I was like, I thought something was going to happen to her. Like the way they were focusing on happen. it. They were like, oh, she's going through the storm. She's going to break through the clouds. And then all of a sudden, all their ships are destroyed or something by Gideon or something like that. Yeah, like, I genuinely that thought happen. that's what it was. No, nope, not at all. Doesn't even, not even and, close to referencing that. And not to spoil, I thought the exact same thing was going to happen in episode eight when Axe Woves flies up and the same thing. The ships same are fine. thing does not happen. It's does like, what? not happen. I thought a giant fleet of Imperial ships was going to be there. There's going to be a giant space battle going on the second she gets through because there's no connection with their comms or whatever. They can't hear each other so i thought the whole point of them not being able to hear each other was that the one group is getting ambushed while the scout group is like unbeknownst to them things are happening and that's what they were going with but they definitely did not they do that storyline they didn't do that because no one was in the room to tell john favreau that this is a weird series of scenes yeah like I have to believe this was intentional because the alternative is that this is just a badly structured script and you could literally take out this part and it doesn't even matter like it's like you could yeah you can you can take out all of the shots of the armor flying up to 
the thing and then the tension becomes like where did the armor go what's happening with the fleet right. because that's the other thing that it does too is like the whole point is they're down there and they're not supposed to be able to contact the fleet but then we see the fleet is still up there yeah just and chilling fine. and yet at the end of the episode gideon deploys the bombers but once again when axe flies up there what should have happened is the armor should have gone and then Axe should have flown up there and then it should already, the attack had already been in progress. But we right. have these scenes of the armor flying out contact. It's, it's, it's weird. It's weirdly it, structured. You know, what's weird though. It's almost like as it's if as like they filmed them out of order. So like they filmed the fight, the next fight scene that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, like, and then they filmed that. But the problem with that, was that Emily Swallow wasn't there on set that day, so they couldn't have her in the fight scenes. So then they were like, hmm, we got to write in somehow the re- a reason why the armor is not in this fight scene later on. <laughs> like, it just, I don't know. That's my conspiracy theory, is that she was on vacation that week, and they were just like... <laughs> also, her oops. stunt double was on vacation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they were just like, oops, my bad. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. The fight scene between axe woves and i keep wanting to call him john favreau has vizsla yes so bokatan's like oh no i totally can't step in why can't you step in exactly i think it's because it's very i think they were doing this thing that it's like a trope on a pirate ship where the captain sits back and lets his men handle their own business. I think it's like that kind of situation well, where she's, she's like, kind of like, she's like, neither tribe could, could step in. It's like the, the point of this bow was that, that but all of them follow you. Right. So if you tell them to stop, they will, they will stop. Well, hopefully they would stop. You're yeah. of the mission. Right. This is your mission. I don't know. It just seems like a, so we can have the Grogu moment where Grogu gets in the middle of them because he's not technically in any tribe. Right. And he's the thing that bridges the gap between the two, I guess, or some bullshit. I don't know what it is, but. And it's it's also really funny because like Bo's like, you trained your apprentice well. And Den is like, he didn't learn that from me. And I'm like, if you skipped Book of Boba Fett, then you don't fucking know who he learned it from. I was going to say, who did he learn that from? Because who clearly we don't know. From? It's almost like this is the culmination of the character arc that was begun in those two episodes of Book of Boba Fett that should have been the season premiere of this season. Makes no goddamn sense. No sense whatsoever, but okay. Ugh, that makes me so goddamn angry. It's it's exhausting because, yeah, this is like supposed to be the culmination of that, and if you skipped Book of Boba Fett, you're SOL. It doesn't really make much sense. It also feels like this could have been an interesting point for Boba Fett to show up in the season. I feel like if he had been, instead of Grogu doing this, you know, it would have been interesting to have maybe Boba Fett be the bridge. If they'd gone and got Boba and yeah, this would have been a good moment for Boba to step in is yeah. To be like, Hey, you guys like Mandalorian is like, y'all need to calm down. I like that. And Grogu equally. I mean, yeah, obviously Grogu's here, so let's use him. But Grogu's you know. here, so let's use him. And like, it's also like the culmination of Grogu's character arc because he's a Mandalorian and he could step in, but he's also like a Jedi, and this is a very Jedi thing to do. And it's like, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this scene. It was just an excuse to show two straight dudes being annoying at each other. Yeah, and of, co- of course it's the two straight dudes. <laughs> yep. Of course it's the two straight dudes. The one who's clearly proven to be a straight dude because he's had a. He, he's bred a child, unfortunately, uh, we think. And then the other one, I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe Axe might be a little, uh, he may be a little questionable, I think. Hard to say. I think he might be well, secretly, you know. Well, you know, 
you never know with Paz too, because like bisexual people exist, and That's also very true. gay people. There's surrogacy. There's adoption. And we you are never in space, know. so you're right. Like there's we could we could be seeing some gay violence here. It's hard. This to could say. be. You're right. This could be gay on gay crime. It could be. <laughs> this could be. Gay on gay crime. <laughs> uh, so the fleet commander uh, that very briefly. Uh, the armorer speaks to being played by a gentleman named Travis Parker. Travis Parker is primarily a stunt man. He's been in a whole lot of things, but the most interesting one for our purposes, there's two that are really interesting that I noted here. He's a stunt performer on Captain America Civil War, and he's a stunt performer on Teen Wolf. He's the stunt double for Sinikua, Sinikua Walls. I think it's how Sinikua Walls. Uh, it doesn't sound familiar, so... Do you remember this character? No, I don't. I'm sure. Guess not. Unless he's from third season, and it's the... That season, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't want to... Not that I can spoil it for anybody, but, like, you know, I mean, it's been a long time. I famously... Famously, I have not watched Teen Wolf, uh, and we have always said that if we were ever to do a spinoff non-Star Wars podcast, I would want to do a Teen Wolf rewatch, and Bradley has been stubbornly against it for two years. <laughs> So I guess we'll find out if we ever make that. Uh, but he's also acted in a few things. Uh, he's been in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's been in The Mandalorian. And he's been in a Red Hot Chili Peppers music video. For These Are The Ways. These are, this is the way. This is the way. Uh, my final note for this section is on the scene where the ship gets destroyed. Uh, my only note is, what in the dune is this shit? Okay, so here's my problem with this scene. Okay. They... What they should have done in this scene, and I know this goes against uh, everything I believe in for what's cool about it, but this should have just been a mythosaur. They should have just done the mythosaur or something right here. Why is it some random ass monster creature thing? It should have just been a mythosaur. Because uh, we have to destroy the ship so that we can have a big dramatic monster scene and they run into the cave and the cave is conveniently right near uh, the Great Forge so that we can move the plot, but also we need to remove the ship somehow so that they no longer have uh, the ship uh right. it's, it's it's very confusing but also this is another random turtle dinosaur monster thing that has no connection whatsoever to anything and at least like with the mythosaur like theory like at least they hinted at it early on so we could be like oh here's another here's the full thing now like you know we f we paid money to design it so here you go now you get to see it all in its full cgi nope. glory so nope yeah, no. guess what the mythosaur is another thing that's going to be introduced <laughs> and never followed up on this season except for right at the very end but we'll get to that when we get to that i'm just like what the fuck uh yeah i this scene sure happens yeah it, it's just it's this scene literally can be taken out if you just say okay we found the cave like <laughs> like that's it like you don't even have to have this scene in it you could just have them stop their little land ship thing and be like, oh, here's the cave to the forge. Let's go in now. And then they just go in naturally. It's also, like, it's also, um, it's kind of weird too, because I thought the reveal in episode eight, at least partially was supposed to be that like life grew on Mandalore and existed outside. But I guess back in episode two, they established that those like weird troll things were, right. had survived the bombing as did the mythosaur. I don't know. This scene is a scene that happens and we're going to move on from it. The group follows the tunnels 
underground and find the Great Forge. When a group of jetpack flying people head their way, thinking they are Mandalorians, however, they turn out to be Imperial jetpack troopers. They engage in a jetpack-powered fight, and the Imperials begin to retreat, and the group advances. The group is ambushed and split up. With Din on one side of the door, he is restrained, and Moff Gideon arrives in Beskar armor suit. Moff Gideon monologues for a bit before asking for the surrender and return to the Darksaber. The Mandalorians begin to fight back, and Paz Vizsla stays behind to let the others get away. He takes on three Praetorian guards who kill him, and it cuts to black. The, the jetpack fight is actually very cool, and I do like that fight a lot. I agree. I, I, agree. I feel like this was something Juan needed, because, like, fucking Mandalorians have jetpacks, so why haven't we seen a jetpack fight? Like, this is, this is cool. It's, there's a shot at the end of the Lawless that is one of the most popular shots in the Clone Wars, where uh, Obi-Wan's standing in front of a door, and the door opens, and we see Mandalore in full Civil War, and they're, like, fighting each other with jetpacks. This is very reminiscent of that for me. And you know what? This would give me so many great vibes if, like, they do end up doing a armor, like, scene or something, or episode, and then she has, like, a flashback to this episode or something like that like where she was you know she's with maul or something and like they're fighting like that would be a really cool like flashback scene for her like i would want to see that yes be i feel like it would visually it would look semi like this. oh yes it would look visually like... it would look very similar to this so. yeah yeah yeah, yeah and it, it is really nice to see like jetpacks these jetpack fights in live action too because they've also been animated and now we're seeing them in live action and we're gonna see more jetpack fighting next episode so that's gonna be a lot of fun I also want to talk uh, about they, the design of these troopers too. Yes, the the jetpack troopers. Yes, they look one. Well, first of all, they look fucking cool because they're I don't know. They just look cool. Second of all, I they, I love when new stormtroopers. Yeah, I love a good like. Why not? Let's just have fifty different iterations of stormtroopers. It, it, it's perfect. Um, they look like, and you can tell me if I'm correct or not. Very early design of white Boba Fett. Ralph McQuarrie design. I didn't even realize that, but you're kind of right. Yeah. That's vaguely they what they look doing like. doing a white Boba Fett. Yeah. So I think that's what they're, I think that's what they're inspired by. I don't know if that's true I, or not, but it visually looks like that. Because we find out Moff Gideon's thing is like taking things from the different groups and Frankensteining them together. Right. Uh, so it would make sense. He would look at the Mandalorians and be like, yeah, that works really well. I'm going to design my troopers to be a sleeker version of that. And like, that does, he, does he say out loud that they have Beskar armor or is it just like implied? He or... has Beskar armor. Oh, okay. okay. So they he's don't. wearing Beskar armor. I don't think he confirms that they are, but I assume they are because otherwise I, I would assume the, so, yeah. the Lambda class shuttle scene in uh, the Carson Teva episode doesn't make any goddamn sense. As previously established in our coverage of that episode, it makes no goddamn sense. So I'm going to go with they all have Beskar armor because I think... I just assume they do. That makes the most sense at this point. The Empire has reserves of Beskar, clearly, because they paid it to Mando back in Season 1. I imagine he probably has... I have to assume that Beskar is at least in part part of this. Okay, so I'm looking at uh, the Wikipedia entry article of Imperial Armored Commando. Okay. And it says that also known as Imperial Commandos and Beskar Troopers. Okay, uh, so so Wikipedia yeah. seems to think that they are armored in Beskar. Seems to think so. And then I'm looking, checking their source, but I, I can't click it. Um, so who knows? It says source question mark. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true. Okay, but, 
Um, the matter is still debated. It's still debatable, but they are possibly Beskar. It's it's a mixture. It says that it's possibly a mixture of Beskar alloy and stormtrooper armor. So that's what I'm thinking. It is some kind I'm of thinking mix. His is pure Beskar. Moff yeah. Gideon's is pure Beskar. I'm right. thinking these guys just have a mix. I agree. Uh, speaking of Moff Gideon, they run down the hallways. This was the point where I figured out the twist of the season. Where it was going to be, oh, no, Moff Gideon was using Mandalore as his base the whole time. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh. Uh, Din Djarin does try very, very hard to make the flamethrower be useful. It does not prevent him from being captured. <laughs> it, it, you actually see it hit the, like, jetpack troopers and they stagger back and then they're fine. Yeah, they're just like, why would you waste the paint on my armor right now, dude? does nothing to stop them like they recover in 0.2 seconds and capture him so anyway there's a flamethrower it was useless moff gideon talks like oh i want to create the best from every culture and i'm like what the fuck yeah i don't yeah i I didn't quite understand his motivations well because he wants to take he wants to take like the best of the the useful things from other cultures, destroy that culture, and then Frankenstein it into his own like superior army. And I'm like, are you doing like a space eugenics or like a space colonialism? This is bad, but I can't tell. It's like a weird mix of a lot of things that are bad. I think it's just his ego. I really don't know what else it is other than just it, like... It has to be his ego. It's just his ego. He just wants to be yeah. like... I think, honestly, I think he looks really... He thinks he looks really cool in this armor. And he's like, I like it because Mandalorians look cool. So he's like, I want to look like a Mandalorian. And then he's like, oh, well, the Darksaber is cool. So I want to have the Darksaber. <laughs> he doesn't really think And we also find out, like, next episode, we find out what his army is supposed to be. We'll get to it when we get to it. That's why I'm like... It's, it's all ego. Yeah, it's all ego. It's de- yeah, that's also more like, confirmed later on. But yes, it's it's his ego. Yeah, it just the interesting thing, too, is this whole season is about celebrating differences and like coming together for a common cause despite your differences. And Gideon makes an interesting antagonist for that in his sense of, well, I'm going to take the things that work and just discard the rest of it. Like he doesn't see culture. He doesn't see any of these things as something that's intrinsic to a people he sees it as things he can take and use like the beskar or the force or the armor or any of that stuff and it would be a really interesting counterpoint to bo-katan if moff gideon had been in this season before this episode and we had time to explore that but we do not I, I, I that's what I'm talking about. I'm literally if we had hinted at him throughout each and every single one of the episodes or just had him in little scenes like mixed in, it would have just made that this all that much more better. And then you could have even had Aliyah Kane and stuff she was doing on Coruscant like mix in better. It would just make more sense. Like, I don't know. It just is. It it's a lot that they could have done. It's- It's a lot, and it's also delivered with some of, and I'm going to be totally honest here, some of the most ridiculous hackneyed writing that he's given. Like, props to Giancarlo Esposito, who is absolutely hamming it up, but some of the lines that he's given in this scene, my particular note is where he looks at Bo-Katan and he's like, we have to stop meeting like this. And I'm like, that is such a classic villain line. And not in like the, oh, he said the classic villain thing, when the, oh my god, you couldn't think of any better banter for this scene. You can think of anything better to give him. So I'm going to 
how you like to say, put a pin in this discussion because I want to talk about it again later on. Okay. Uh, it either in the next episode or we'll talk about it in our overall okay. discussion. We'll, we'll put a pin in the conversation between Bo-Katan and, yep. and uh, Moff Gideon. And then we will move on to John Favreau's super special OC's big death. Um, so conspiracy theory alert, conspiracy theory alert. Um, okay. I feel like the death of Paz Vizla is the the inevitable death of quote unquote John Favreau being a part of this show. <laughs> uh well, I mean, he's gonna be involved in season four. Right, but like as a eventually he's gonna have to step back and just be like an EP or something. He's never going to like, he's, I don't think he's going to be in the writing room anymore. If hopefully if this is going forward. <laughs> with, oh, with you, you think that symbolically he's going to take a step back uh, because his super special OC do not steal died. That's an interesting conspiracy theory. I don't think I agree with it because I, mean, I it think could he be doesn't nice... want to give up his death grip on the series. <laughs> it's, it's poetry. Just let it happen. Uh, I, I wish it was. I wish you were right i wish uh, he had to actually hire a i'm just putting team. it out there in the universe for it to happen so we'll see well his super special oc do not steal gets murdered by a couple of what bradley what shows up to murder him well i'll, I'll call them proto praetorian guards i guess because they're, they're kind of in between they're like yeah they're guards. like a 2.0 version of a old design of a but not quite the super sleek modern sexy apple design later on <laughs> that we get christ yeah Which i actually like them though two. they look really cool this is part two of hey do you guys remember the sequel trilogy because we're tying into it uh because yeah praetorian guards show up praetorian guards we saw for well we saw the royal guard for the first time in Return of the Jedi with the Emperor's red-robed uh, royal guards that just kind of fuck off um, at the beginning of the confrontation and don't show up to help at all when the Emperor dies. Uh, but then we saw the Senate Guard variation, and then in the sequel trilogy, which these are obviously referencing, we saw the Praetorian Guard, which is Snoke's Praetorian Guard that fights Rey and Kylo in The Last Jedi, which, hot take, I, I think they should have that should have been the Knights of Ren. I don't think it should have been the this the Praetorian Guard. I get that they wanted to do the Red Guards, yeah. but I do think it would have been better if if he had fought the Knights of Ren there. I don't know. That's just me. But these are a reference to the Praetorian Guard that we actually got in the movie. Right. And I like how they look like so their helmets are clearly in the style of like the Roman kind of esque looking thing. Um, I love how their weapons are similar to those in the uh the last jedi but they're like purple for some reason i don't know i kind of like that they're they're purpley like i don't know why the energy is purple but it it's stylish i like it. i do I mean, love the design of them i yeah, cannot really wait cool. to eventually get the lego minifigure version of this they're really they're really pretty i like the design i think it's nice and classic it looks really cool and I, I think it's a nice early version of what we're going to get later on it. I like how it connects. And they also beat up and kill Paz Vizsla so we can we can see how dangerous they are. And this was the moment where I was like, yeah, they're going to fight Din yeah. later yeah. in the season, later on in the finale. Obviously, they do the, the trope where uh, they there's a super powerful character and then they get taken out by the villain. So yeah. that our main character, the stakes can be raised. And I'm like, OK, sure. We all saw that coming a mile away. 
Yeah. It is worth noting, though, that it took three of them to take him down. So that's nice. It wasn't like a simple, oh, only one of them is so super powered that it can take down, you know, our super strong character. Like, it, it was nice that, like, okay, he, they struggled a tad with this situation. Yes, it is very clear that, that they, they are not invincible. But I also love the music that plays when they show up. Mm, yeah, it was very dramatic. Very, uh, we know what's going to happen. <laughs> I... I wonder if they've released the soundtrack to this. I'm sure they have by now. They must have. But this this is a really good music track, so good work. Alrighty, well, that's all of my notes. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, once we got to the Praetorian Guards, it was like, all right, well, they kind of just cut the episode and it's over. Um, yeah, the episode's no... just done. It's just done. They just end the episode. It's, it's, it's done. There you go. Fuck you. See you next week. Yeah, I don't know if I love that. I um, don't love that. My I, whole overarching yeah. theme of this season is I don't love that it was written as a single eight-part story that they just dropped the the episode breaks wherever the fuck they wanted. And you know, it's I I to Chris's point, uh, what he said early on about how I think he said it in our Bad Batch coverage uh, about how the Mandalorian. He kind of spoke about the Mandalorian for a second. And he was talking about how. He didn't like how they don't drop all the episodes at once. And if you're going to do it like the way they've written it, I agree with him that this probably all should have been released at once. However, because it's an episodic, you know, technically it's an episodic show or it used to be anyway. Right. <laughs> That's, uh, the that week by week sense. is fine. Yeah, right. Yeah. That made sense because it was Adventure of the Week. If you look at something like season right. one of The Mandalorian, that was an Adventure of the Week every week except the final two. Right. And even the the first three episodes was kind of form a trilogy. Each of them had an overarching device to it. Episode right. two was getting the the parts back from the Jawas. That's what the episode was about. It was a self-contained story that was part of a whole. Uh, the other, like the other example I would bring up would be Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is closer to what this season's trying to do in that it told one story over six parts but each episode within the context of that overall story was about something. Episode right. one was about Obi-Wan deciding to leave Tatooine, and the episode ends there. Episode two was Dayu. Episode three was Mapuzo. Episode four was the Fortress Inquisitorious. It was segmented by these specific sections. This season, I really just feel like the Mandalorian is just, they chop it wherever. They're like, we hit 50 pages. Okay, time to chop it. Yeah. We'll do the next episode. It just seems I, a little like out of place. Like and it. It, they could have done a little better. But that's what happens when you have one or two writers and that's it. That's what happened. Nobody tells you, like nobody's there to tell you to not do this. Nobody's there to suggest better ways to do it. And looking at like the way episode seven of season one ended, they're all in the bar. Moff Gideon has just shown up. We've had our big reveal of the villain and boom, cut to black. Oh, that's sexy. That's a sexy cliffhanger. Episode seven of season two. Din has gotten the information that he needs, so he sends a transmission to Moff Gideon, and he parrots Moff Gideon's words back at him, and Moff Gideon kind of stands there and, and sort of does his reaction, and boom, we have set up that the next episode, gonna get the baby back. This season, Paz Vizsla dies, and 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 that's that's where we are. That's where we are in, in this episode. And the next yeah. one's going to pick up right after we've had no real conclusion because this episode has had no real story. I also don't like how the way that they've they've kind of split up the party here is that Bo and team are on one side of the door. 
And then Mando's all by himself for some reason on the other side of the door. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, let's kidnap him for a, a reason. Like, I don't know what value he has to Moff Gideon. The, uh, just a guy. Like, he's just a dude. Like, so I don't know why <laughs> Moff Gideon is, like, t- wasting his time. Just kill him. He's right there. Like, literally just kill You're him. You're going to kill everybody else. You're going to kill Bo-Katan. Why are you keeping Den alive? Yeah. yeah, it's not like you can use him for leverage. It's like, Bo gives a fuck about this one guy. Like, you know, I, you know, that's not her. I, I just don't see that logically being I mean she like, would but he doesn't think that that's what I'm saying like Moff Gideon has no context for that at all so like right now this is just some dude who fought back like let's just fucking kill him you just yeah, you just had your like, three red guys kill the other one so why don't you have him die I assumed when they captured Den and they took him that we were gonna do the sort of reverse damsel in distress thing where right. Den is gonna have a chance to talk to Moff Gideon and we're gonna actually have a confrontation where these two have to discuss their respective ideologies uh, and how they are in conflict with each other uh, over the course of the three seasons of this show and uh, Moff Gideon is going to be able to reveal to where his ideology is conflicted with the Mandalorians uh, and Den will be able to demonstrate to us how he has grown as a character. Uh, This does not happen. Den is rescued in 0.5 seconds and most of the episode is that's going to follow this is a big fight. A cool big fight uh, but we don't get any of that Luke talks to the Emperor stuff that we would get from Return of the Jedi. Like, I will say this, and then we will move on to final thoughts. If you watch the confrontation between Luke and Vader and the Emperor in Return of the Jedi, the scene cuts away during the lightsaber parts of the lightsaber fight. And a lot of what we're shown on screen is them talking because their back and forth is what's interesting. And we will leave it at that and go to final thoughts. Bradley, what are your final thoughts on Chapter 23, The Spies? Well, before I do that, uh, directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Oh, right. Just so I can throw that out directed there. Directed by Rick Famuyiwa. We like Rick Famuyiwa. Right. I think, by... Oh, I think it was directed very well. I oh, think it, yeah. great direction. Yeah, I love think it was the, Love the visuals, a thing I didn't mention, but I do yep. think that he did some really interesting stuff with light on Mandalore. Yeah. Uh, like with the sunrise and the sunset and night on the planet, he did some really cool, cool things visually. And then written by John and Dave. Um, moving on, uh, my final <laughs> thoughts for <laughs> um, that's about as much credence as we need to give written by John and Dave. Honestly, we've I've, I've said it almost every single time. So at this point, like, you know, they've gotten their credits for this. Um, my final thoughts are, yeah, I think it was a decent episode for visuals and action and stuff like that. It was very fun. I, written wise, I feel like they could have taken one or two extra passes at this just to kind of like expand Gideon's scenes maybe or just kind of give him more to do. Like I just genuinely hate the way that they treat the character of Gideon in all three seasons of this show. I just feel like he is reduced to a background villain character that we never get to see do anything half the time this is probably the most we've seen Gideon on screen like do anything and he doesn't do anything he just comes down monologues and then flies away he's just kind of like all right well you guys take care of it I'm the big bad dude so I don't have to do anything you know I just hate that it's just like villain that doesn't do anything and so it are all of the stuff he does is behind the scenes and so I just hate 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 when shows do that it's it's a trope I think called what Orcus on his throne or something like that 
I think it's the trope. Where you have a villain whose whole thing is they sit on the throne and they just wait for you to come to them. Uh, the, one of the most prominent examples prior to the release of the third expansion for World of Warcraft was the Lich King, whose whole thing was he just sits on the frozen throne all day and directs the scourge, but he didn't actually fucking do anything. And the Emperor's kind of the same way in Return of the Jedi, but yeah, Moff Gideon is very much doing like a like an Orcus on his throne type thing to where um, he's just kind of sitting there waiting for them to come to him. Like, nothing he does really kicks this plot into motion at all. He's just there and the Mandalorians kind of stumble upon him. And they're like, oh shit, Gideon's been here the whole time. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, my final thought is uh, more Gideon, please. This episode, they had a lot of really good ideas, but the writing was clunky and it, it's a lot of missed opportunities. I loved what moments we got. I loved everything on the barge. I thought was fantastic. And I will give Giancarlo Esposito his credit. He's given some really bad writing in the this monologue scene, but he is hamming it up and he is fun to watch. That's our episode seven. Uh, that sure was an episode of TV that we watched. Pluggable things. Uh, if you like the show, please rate and review it. Uh, that helps the algorithm disperse us to more people, which is awesome. Uh, you can also listen to me on For Light and Dice, a Star Wars TTRPG actual play podcast set in the High Republic. And what are we what are we hawking for you now, Bradley? Is it Temptation Island that we're hawking for you now? Yes, Temptation watch Island. Temptation Island on USA. On USA Network, uh, June 14th is the premiere. So if you want to know what Bradley was doing while we were recording Andor, you can watch Temptation Island on USA. We are the only Star Wars podcast. I, I gotta say this, Bradley. We are the only Star Wars podcast that actively shills for reality TV shows that aren't Real Housewives. And even the ones that mention Real Housewives don't try to get people to go watch Real Housewives. <laughs> we are the only ones being like, you should go watch this show. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just need to turn your brain off and that's okay. Yes, go and watch Temptation Island on USA Network. I will be getting very drunk and doing that when it comes out. And then uh, go ahead and run the socials. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. All right. Well, let me get some new headphones. Well, it's because you know what they were. In Your it. AirPods went on strike. My AirPods. <laughs> Your AirPods went on strike. Jesus Christ. <sighs> Your AirPods are standing in solidarity with the WGA. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know what my end clip is. <laughs>